Well, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show, my new free podcast dedicated to translating Trump. We have a great show lined up for you today. We'll talk with Lord Conrad Black, one of President Trump's staunchest defenders, and Steve Wynn, who is now the architect of the Republican plan to keep the majority in Congress. But first, I want to share a few thoughts of my own on the big stories of the week. All right, here we are uh, a couple of days after Manchester, um, and I watched Theresa May, and I like Theresa May, Prime Minister of Great Britain, uh, and uh, she gave a good speech, uh, and she said the terrorists will not win, and she said, uh, you know, we are strong and we will remain strong. And all I could think of was a speech Tony Blair gave, oh, 10 years ago, maybe, uh, saying the same thing. Uh, are the terrorists winning? I, in England, I don't know, but I don't think they're losing. They don't seem to be cowed or afraid. Um, they keep on coming and keep on killing people. Now, this particular mass murder and slaughter, please let's not call it a tragedy, this particular mass murder and slaughter, um, particularly horrendous, the nature of the bomb. It had screws and bolts and nails in it and destroyed all sorts of human flesh, a lot of it young human flesh, young people, children, um, to horrify the infidel, indeed the infidels, the rest of us, all of us were um, horrified by it. But, um, you know, they keep on coming. They don't seem to be intimidated. Just a few points about Manchester. Uh, I'm tired of hearing people say the terrorists will not win. I'm as tired of that as I am watching Please don't get me wrong. I saw the prayer service, and prayer is correct always. Um, I'm sure we'll be seeing teddy bears and other things and candles, but too much, too many teddy bears and candles. Not in terms of too many for the commemoration, but too many commemorations because too many catastrophes. Stop them. Stop them. So Theresa May says the terrorists will not win. We hear this after Paris. We hear this after Orlando. We hear this. After Manchester, these are all wins for them. Uh, something we know about um, the terrorist, I prefer not to say his name. He traveled to Libya, and members of his own family had informed on him in the past. That is his parents, I believe. Chris, isn't that right? I'm talking to Chris Peach. Chris, isn't that right? His parents. I believe that's right. I don't know if they've put a specific family member on there, identified one yet, but the reports are that family members... All right, family members had told on him to the authorities. Now, that, that takes something, you know, to, to flesh and blood. You say, you know, you better watch this guy. But they told them. All right, so this guy had been tracked, too, by MI5, I believe. And um, uh, nevertheless, he gets away with it. There's all sorts of stuff about the fact that he carried, carried a bag, not a backpack. Was the bag checked? Probably not. That's a detail, but it's an important detail. The Israelis, we could learn from the Israelis about this. But it's this uh, this attitude. I, I guess uh, one of the things that went out early in uh, London and all over Great Britain after this was watch your Twitters and um, no hate speech and so on. Uh, the mayor of London was concerned about that as uh, well as the tragedy, as I think they called it. We, uh, we really have to uh, change our whole uh, way of thinking about this in a couple of ways. Uh, you all know that I'm a, a member of the American Strategy Group. You've heard uh, members of the other members of the group talk on uh, on this podcast. As a fellow of the American Strategy Group, um, I'm concerned about national security, and I'm particularly concerned about the global war against Islamist terror and how we're conducting it. 
we used to complain about the fact uh, when President Obama was in charge that he couldn't get the terms right. He couldn't get the description right. I'm still worried that we're not getting the description right. I'm, I, I give kudos to President Trump for saying Islamic terror during his speech in Saudi Arabia, though some people wanted to apologize for that, saying he meant Islamist terror. Um, that distinction doesn't matter to me. Um, I know it matters a great deal to some people. But one needs to understand that this terror springs from an ideology which springs from Islam. Um, our friend Andy McCarthy, who I'm going to cite a couple of times in the next couple of minutes, has written extensively on this. By the way, um, if you'll if you'll just uh, go to my Facebook page, you'll see some uh, references to Andy for further reading on this if you want. Um, he, he's written forever and eloquently on this, and he has it right, and I just wish people would pay attention, uh, would pay attention to him. Um, so Islamic terror, the president says, good for the president saying that. Um, and as McCarthy says, we need to understand this is not something, these, uh, this ideology that was done to Islam. This is something that came out of Islam. Now you can say it's, uh, it's an error, a misinterpretation, but there are a lot of scholars who will tell you it's pretty consistent with uh, what's, in the, um, what's in the Quran. Um, in any case, uh, it can be justified by the Quran. Uh, and so we need to see this as in some ways endemic to Islam, or at least a very strong uh, interpretation of Islam. We also know that uh, although most Muslims, the majority of Muslims, maybe the vast majority of Muslims don't approve of this uh, kind of horrible thing, uh, too many do. Um, the last polls I saw had something like 20% or 30% of uh, Muslims living in England saying that suicide bombing was okay in circumstances. My number's right there, Chris. I think they're about right. Yes, I saw those as well. I think those are the Pew Research numbers, and they've done you know these global surveys, and they found you know in countries uh, Pakistan or Afghanistan or Iraq, you know sympathy for terrorist bombings uh, in the name of Islam is high as 50, 60, 70%. Right. Um, so the full quote from Donald Trump, there's still much work to be done. That means honestly confronting the crisis of Islamic extremism and the Islamists and Islamic terror of all kinds. But we need to understand that this springs from Islam. Now, wh why does this matter? Well, let's talk here, and, you know, I'm a supporter of President Trump, but this policy, for example, this uh, policy on immigration talks about extreme vetting, and most of what it's talking about here is the vetting of people who believe in violence and terror. Um, that may be the wrong emphasis. We already vet for terrorism. We, we already vet for people who have a history of violence and acting violently and who advocate terrorism. What we probably ought to pay more attention to is their belief system. What are their beliefs? Do they have this ideological belief uh, in Sharia supremacism? Again, McCarthy's phrase. Sharia supremacism, which is, you know, the, the, that uh, Muslims are greater than infidels and that um, a price can be exacted from infidels. Uh, it is not a uh, set of beliefs consistent with our Constitution. Sharia supremacism, I quote McCarthy, demands that societies be governed by classical repressive Islamic law. And it is a totalitarian political ideology under a religious veneer. It should not be regarded as a merely religious belief system, as that concept is understood in our law. So when you're talking about the vetting, just to be specific here and precise, we should find out what the beliefs of people are. 
do you do you swear allegiance to the Constitution? Is the Constitution uh, the bedrock of your of your moral and legal and 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 uh, governing principles, or is it something else? Here's McCarthy again. Let me quote it. To prevent this, the fate of uh, the kind of, the kind of fate met by people at Manchester. We have to be prepared to scrutinize aliens for Sharia supremacist ideology. That means heightened vetting for aliens who seek to enter the United States from any country, city, town, or enclave where this anti-constitutional ideology is prevalent. The objective is not and has never been to ban Muslims just because they're Muslims. As the president correctly noted in his speech on Sunday in Saudi Arabia, jihadist terror regularly kills and persecutes Muslims. The objective is to protect the religious liberty of all Americans from Sharia supremacist ideologues who systematically discriminate against both non-Muslims and Muslims who do not adhere to the fundamentalist construction of Islam. That's what we should be vetting for, and that's what we should be looking for. Look, a lot of the people who are involved in this, this guy, um, uh, the Manchester killer, uh, was born in the United Kingdom. Was he not, Chris? That's right. Uh, so, you know, born in, born in our midst or their midst, radicalized. I like this new phrase I've, I've seen. He's not a lone wolf. He's a known wolf, known by the authorities. But he had sympathies, sympathies uh, with uh, the suicide bombers. Uh, McCarthy, again, it's there among sympathetic residents that the message of groups like the Islamic State has resonance making these enclaves in Manchester or elsewhere, maybe Orlando, maybe San Bernardino, maybe New Jersey, maybe Detroit, making these enclaves fertile ground for jihadist indoctrination, recruitment, training, fundraising, and harboring. So it's wrong, it seems to me, or misdirected or off point to talk about, well, we'll we're going we're gonna, to uh, not let people in from certain countries where there's a lot of violence. The country matters less and the belief system of the individual. Am I getting this? Uh, am I getting this right? I think I am. Chris, your comments, please. You study this too. Yeah, and I was going to ask you your take on. Yeah. You know, there are plenty of. I mean, the FBI says that there are ongoing investigations in every state in the country into people who have interests or sympathy towards ISIS, and then we have on record people who travel and leave the country and go to these some of these territories. And it just seems like we also, while watching abroad, we have to do a much better job at home, correct, in identifying people who, I mean, and this is where you run up on, you know, First Amendment rights, uh, but people who at home express sympathies who may not be foreign-born, foreign born, but may be natural-born citizens like Orlando and some of these other instances. Well, look, you got people, <clears throat> some cases are easier than others. You got people who are born here, raised here, they become known wolves or sympathetic to the to the to the uh, ISIS cause, and uh, they go abroad. Um, when they come back, don't let them back in. I mean, if there's a reason for heightened scrutiny, and they go to back uh, and go to Libya or go to Syria or something, don't let them back in. Of the people who are born here and don't go abroad, but you notice things on the on the internet and so on, you can let them know that you are watching them. Uh, and, uh, you know, if we need to hire more people, hire more people, use local people, deputize people. This, of course, raises the whole sanctuary city issue on the side. But um, that's, that's what I mean. Uh, let them know that they're being watched. Uh, otherwise, we're going to have more, more incidents like this. 
Now, I don't know. We will hear from people who will say, we have such enclaves in the United States, you know, uh, near Detroit or, or in, in certain parts of New Jersey. Um, and, you know, places where police won't go. I don't know if that's true or not. But I do know that where this ideology is breeds and grows, uh, the possibilities of this kind of catastrophe and slaughter increase. So we need to have an honest conversation about this. And when President Trump said during the campaign, a temporary ban on Muslims that maybe was too broad... But how about a temporary ban, or maybe even longer than a temporary ban, on Muslims who believe in Sharia supremacism, which is that the teachings and doctrines of Sharia outweigh, overwhelm, are more consequential than those uh, of uh, the American Constitution. That's my answer to that. Anything no, else? I think that I think that's good. And you know, you mentioned you're tired of you know hearing people say that you know the terrorists are not winning. I think what I'm just growing tired of is reading in these recent attacks uh, from Orlando to Paris to Manchester to Nice, reading this the same phrase over and over again, you know, the suspects had been known to police or had yeah. been known to authorities yeah. or in yeah. Orlando, he had been interviewed by FBI yeah. agents. Yeah. And yet yeah. What's what's keeping them from, pre- you know, from pressing charges or doing more? Uh, how many more instances like this where these guys are known to authorities, yet they're not able to do anything? Uh, change the laws if we need to. This is self-protection. The Constitution is not a suicide pact, said Justice Jackson. You know, I was <clears throat> I was reading the same things you were. Twenty-two dead at, in Manchester. What was the was the body count in Orlando? Forty-nine. It was forty-nine? At least so. Yes. More than twice as many. And and when I read it, I said, Orlando. How often does that come up in conversation? Not very often. I mean, I, somebody, I, I guess it was Tucker Carlson, was doing this thing on the on TV the other night showing press coverage. Part, part of this is keeping this thing in front of us, keeping this thing front and center in our attention and our focus so that we're aware of it. But uh, the TV uh, coverage is more about collusion with Russia and possible collusion with Russia, though there's no evidence of such, on the part of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I remember shortly after 9-11... Uh, that, uh, you know, it was very hard to get to see uh, pictures uh, or video of those planes crashing into the building. It's hard to get it now. Uh, you have to be pretty skillful on the Internet to get it. I, I, look, this should be in front of us. We should be reminded of this. These are the people who are, um, they're, 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 if you will, their intellectual ancestors uh, were the 9-11 perpetrators. I, I, I don't want to fault the president so much as I think parts of the swamp are getting to him. That is, slight versions or slightly more politically correct versions of, uh, of things are getting to him. Now, he spoke well in Saudi Arabia, though some people would argue that the part I liked the best was a misstatement. Uh, I don't think it was. <laughs> I think that's where he is. I think he still is. He, he knows there's a problem in Islam, with Islam. And that has to be said. All right, that's all I got to say, unless you got something else you want to ask me. No, I think that was great. Start banging the table here with my pen. I guess I better stop. I don't want to drive the audience <laughs> nuts. All right, folks, that's, um, that's a wrap uh, on uh, my thoughts of the day. Uh, we got more coming up on the Bill Bennett Show, a free podcast. Please tell your friends. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. 
This week, the American Strategy Group brings us a conversation with one of the earliest and staunchest defenders of Donald Trump. His name is Conrad Black. He's a prolific writer, historian, thinker, and a former member of the House of Lords in the United Kingdom. He's the author of two books about Americans, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Champion of Freedom, and Richard M. Nixon, A Life in Full. Lord Black, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be back with you. Great to have you. Well, your voice is, I won't say uh, the only one, but it's, I think, the strongest voice in defense of President Trump. Uh, what's happening to Donald Trump? What are they trying to do to him, or what are they doing to him? Uh, well, I, I'm sure you and your listeners are as familiar with the process as I am, but they, uh, you look, I don't want to fall to the tactic of those who, whose um, objections to Trump I myself find excessive and, and start mind-reading people. Uh, so I can't say exactly what's in their minds, but clearly there's an attempt to delegitimize the uh, victory that he won and to keep promoting uh, the, the sequential theories of his unsuitability to office. And we have to keep in mind the context. He started what amounted to a movement which took over the Republican Party and then won the election, but it was a movement which attacked all the factions of both parties, almost all the media, most of academia, Wall Street, Hollywood, uh, the whole lobby system, the campaign financing system, which he largely avoided himself, and and uh, and was deemed by virtually every adult in Washington, D.C. to be a threat to them, and 94% of the vote in, in Washington, in fact, 96% was against him, and uh, 94% for the Democrats. And um, and and the war continues. For the first time in 45 years, there are no prominent Bushes or Clintons or Obamas in Washington, but the main enemy faction left is the media that Donald Trump, as you well know, largely blamed for uh, giving a relatively free pass to, to a, what he considered to be a largely failed administration uh, under Obama, and for generally failing to, to unearth, uproot, and and, and confront the people responsible for the terrible shortcomings of decades of misgovernment where we had foreign misadventures, terribly uh, ill-considered wars, and uh, an immense humanitarian crisis in the world, and uh, the worst economic setback since the Great Depression. And he was attacking all of that, and and the war goes on, so there was no honeymoon for him. And the strongest element of those that felt under attack that is still standing is the media, and, and they are either spontaneously or out of their sympathies with the defeated party and, and the defeated system, uh, perpetuating or at least trying to amplify a series of defamatory myths. He was a sexist. Well, of course he isn't. He was a racist. He's been in office four months. There's no sign of that. He was going to provoke the Muslims to, to terrible things. Uh, we see exactly the reverse is occurring. Uh, from his visit to the Middle East. He was an authoritarian. I think that's why they uh, did a bit of judge shopping and found these flaky left-wing West Coast judges to claim that they could tell the president what his constitutional rights over immigration were, hoping he would be most trapped into just ignoring them, the way Andrew Jackson famously ignored Chief Justice Marshall. Mm -hmm. But Trump outsmarted them and is just going through the courts, and I have no doubt the Supreme Court will throw the whole thing out and confirm the president's rights, and, and events have tended to 
confirm the wisdom of what he was trying to do anyway. And, and indeed, he did do it. He just had to impose the screening at point of arrival rather than point of embarkation. And, uh, and, and the, 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 of course, the latest and best try was to take Hillary Clinton's excuse that the Russians had stolen the election and magnify that into collusion with foreign power. So Nicholas Kristof could call it a whiff of treason, and Tom Friedman could say it was an attack on American sovereignty equivalent to Pearl Harbor and 9-11, in which thousands of Americans died in both cases, and, uh, and were acts of war. And, uh, and, and that's what they're stuck with. And uh, I think that they gambled everything on an Archibald Cox-like mm-hmm. assassin special prosecutor, someone just setting it to destroy the administration. And instead they got a special counsel taking over a, a well-advanced investigation within the FBI and with parameters that can be lived with. He can go to other relevant matters, but that does not mean chasing down every rabbit hole that can be found. And th- this is not a situation in the slightest uh, comparable, uh, not only to Watergate, but to the Clinton and, and the Iran-Contra affairs. I mean, there, there's absolutely nothing implying the slightest possibility that the president himself has done anything illegal. And so all we've got is a media smear campaign, and, and it's now been funneled into a sort of cul-de-sac. And I am i don't know Mr. Mueller. I wasn't much impressed with his deputy who succeeded him, uh, the former director Comey. But if Mueller deserves the, the credit he almost universally gets as a man of integrity, he'll do his job properly. Yeah. Uh, that will be the end of this. I mean, he'll, he'll yeah. go through it thoroughly, as the president has asked me done. And, uh, and and that'll be the end. But then, then I think we may get a, a settling down of the temperature. I'm sorry to be so long-winded, but it is a complicated issue. No, and I asked a I asked a question to invite such. Uh, we're talking to Conrad Black. Um, do you know Do you know Donald Trump? Do you know him well? Oh yes, I've known him for many years. Okay, so you're speaking with some knowledge of him and his character. Yeah, I haven't I haven't spoken to him since he's been president because I, I wouldn't ever bother a person like that. But uh, I've had a couple of messages from people on his behalf, but uh, I'm not an intimate, but I was associated in a project in Chicago with him, and we were quite That's right. We were neighbors in both New York and Palm Beach, and we used to see him in Millennia quite often. And and, uh, he did very good work, as I recall you saying, in Chicago. Is that right? Extremely so. He came in right on time, right on budget, and built a splendid building. It was a big financial success and and a much-admired architectural success. All right, well, whether there's a crime or not, and there doesn't seem to be any evidence of crime, even some Democrats are admitting that, there does seem to be a cover-up, or there does seem to be action as if a cover-up is being uh, is being undertaken. That is, is Donald Trump contributing in some ways to his own problems by the things he's saying? Is he providing uh, the kindling for the fire or even the fuel for the fire by saying, uh, you know, these reports, and are they to be believed? that he's saying things to uh, the former FBI director and others which are, let's just say, not careful. I think I think he, he probably is vulnerable to the charge of yeah. not being careful, but uh, that, as you know, is not a crime. does not constitute a high crime or misdemeanor <laughs> under the Constitution. Uh, look, I, I think that um, some of this is just nonsense and is, is the... the um, 
add-on to fake news. I mean, fake news was the golden shower, you know, that he'd coordinated these prostitutes yeah. to urinate in a bed in a hotel yeah. in Moscow because the Obamas had once slept in it. And we had CNN not only going with that, but patting themselves on the head and on the back for, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for, for tremendously enterprising journalism. And this ridiculous report had been floating around for months and well, there's nothing they won't report about him if it's negative, whether it, yeah, whether and it was checks out or not. So they took sure. it out and then claimed a tremendous scoop for themselves. Of course, it's just a complete fiction. But um, And you do get some of that. But building on that, we get these uh, the, this latest technique, and, and, and it's almost as irritating as this New York Times-Washington Post business of the 5.30 in the afternoon daily bombshell, which has no, which is hollow. There's nothing in it, you see. So, uh, you know, we, we, get, we get these ridiculous allegations, unsubstantiated, anonymous sources saying things that conceivably, if they were true and you put the worst construction on them, might be slightly embarrassing, but are played out in an urgent way uh, in, in, that, in that terribly irritating and, and juvenile um, uh, breathless way that elements of the hostile media have uh, to incite amongst the the credulous, if there are any left, having been bathed in this dishonest press treatment for so long, that that they have unearthed something really damaging to the president. Now, with that said, uh, some of the things that he has said have have. And you never know with him because he's he's a sort of a complicated person. You don't know if he's goading his opponents into overreacting, yeah. or he himself is is just uh, violating the rule of loose lips sink ships. You know, I mean, he. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Comey memo. We had an anonymous person read part of an alleged memo to the New York Times, in which, from what I saw, what the president was saying was, "Well, personally, I hope it works out for Flynn." But what the media is implying is, uh, well, he was trying to tell Comey to, to shut down the investigation of Flynn. Um, it, it's, it's terribly hard. To, all you can say is, Bill, if, if, if it really was that, if it was an attempt, even, even plausibly, an attempt to tamper with an investigation, in the first place it would have been an offense for Comey not to uh, do something yeah. about it right away. And in the second place, it would have blown up like, like, like an atomic bomb. Yeah, and Comey's already testified to the effect that uh, he has not felt pressure to drop any investigation. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But I, I mean, if, if Donald, if there was, a, I, I thought in the end he he made a, a or at least the, the circumstances that emerged uh, made a plausible argument for Obama was tapping my phones, but he shouldn't have said it was Obama. He shouldn't have put it yeah. like that. And why yeah. say it at all? Just let's see what happens. And, right. and uh, you know, the the business about Comey had better hope that I, that I didn't tape the conversations. I mean, he must have had a motive for saying that. He may have taped them. He may not. But why say it? Yeah. No, that's right. I mean, I think that would be uh, good, good advice to be to cut down on those and on the tweets. What else? What about the swamp? I've been urging that he actually get to some of the swamp creatures uh, who Look, are still I, my, around. My guess, Bill, who is, might be well, helpful to him. Who creatures, might be helpful I, to him. Yeah. I, I may say two things. First of all, uh, I would be a lot more impressed with this attorney general if uh, instead of increasing these outrageous sentences for small cogs in the whole drug scene, you're 20 years in jail for some 
19-year-old lad driving a truck with marijuana in it or something. If instead nope, of that, that sort of doesn't, mandatory... doesn't happen, Conrad. doesn't happen, but you and I will debate that later on. Yeah, no, but uh, uh, we we may not agree on it. But in any case, I, my view is that instead of one of these primitive law in order to throw the book at, at them, uh, you know, well, let's go from seven times as many incarcerated people per capita as other advanced, uh, okay. prosperous democracies like Canada. Let's make it twenty times. If instead of that, he he had got serious, and maybe he has, and I hope he has about impaneling grand juries and getting to the bottom of this leaking. I think they've got to prosecute yeah. some leakers and stuff. Yeah, they do. Just stop it. And they can't do it the way Mr. Nixon did uh, inside the private sector. I mean, in effect, I mean, a, non, a non-official legal thing and the, you know, breaking into Ellsberg's therapist's office yeah. and that sort of thing. You can't have that. Uh, I understand Mr. Nixon's frustrations. That was not the way to deal with it. But the and and, and in, in fairness to him, he didn't know that was happening. But the the, the you know they they've got to stop these leaks. I agree. They have to stop these leaks. So Conrad Black, we have to leave it there for today. We will continue this conversation in our next episode. Thank you for your time and thanks to the American Strategy Group for bringing us this great interview. To learn more about the American Strategy Group, go to amstrategy.org or facebook.com slash amstrategy. I'm a fellow of the American Strategy Group, and it's an organization that does important work for the safety of our republic. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Welcome back to The Bill Bennett Show. Right now, I have the privilege of continuing my exclusive series of interviews with Steve Wynn. Chairman and CEO of Wynn Resorts, home to some of the best five-star resorts in the world. And if he doesn't have enough to do, Steve is also the new finance chair of the Republican National Committee. In our previous conversation, Steve explained how the leadership of the Democratic Party is taking it far left and out of the mainstream of American politics. The only thing that may turn them around is if they keep losing elections. In this segment, Steve discusses why Democrat voters will be the ones to moderate the party not the leadership of the Democrat Party. Steve explains. I don't think it is a leader, Bill. I don't think it's a leader. I think that it's each candidate in the Democratic Party. So I'm a Democratic senator from uh, in this position, and I know I'm running in 20, and it's now 2019 or late 18. They say to themselves, I'm running, and this vote for this issue has got the kind of support uh, that resonates in my district. I don't care what Chuck Schumer says. I'm not going to run having voted against this. It didn't work in 17, it didn't work in 16, and I'm not going to do it again. So maybe then it's not Hillary who comes back, maybe it's Bill of the old DLC who comes back. No, I guess not. That's not going to happen. Well, you mean the Democrats are going to try and coalesce control around a more moderate person? Yeah. That's well, there's no, I mean. sign that, there's no sign that that party is moving to the center. There's a sign that it's moving to the left. Yeah. The guy they elected is the Democratic national chairman. What's his yeah. name? Yeah. Uh, Tom uh, Perez. Yeah. He's, he's running around the country like an hysterical nut. He screams at people. <laughs> he curses, too. Cursing he curses, is in. He screams. Cursing he, is in. He, he, yeah. He's totally out of control. Uh, I don't know who he thinks he's talking to, but uh, I don't think he's very effective. I sort of like the way he talks as a Republican. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> more of that, huh? <clears throat> Let's talk about uh, 
I'm sure you've heard some of this when you talk to people, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm part of the conservative uh, media now, I guess, now that I'm out of government. Uh, some some hits on the president. And hey, good. the first, what's that? And good that you are. Good that I am. Thank <laughs> you, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, it's good when we have good guests like you. But, um, <clears throat> okay, some hits from the conservatives. National Review said, man, this, this budget deal, this was crazy. You know, you should have shut down the government. What is the mm. point of having... You know, a Republican president, if things stay the same. The vice president, whom I really revere, I know you like him very much too, was on Rush's show. Rush said, you know, when the Democrats are in power, you know, we do Democrat things. When we're in power, we do Democrat things. Now, there's enough counter evidence of things no. the president's done. Yeah. But, but you know, this budget deal, for example, uh, was, was this right to keep the government running, to sign on to all this stuff? <laughs> We are the party that is governing America. Yeah. And the way it works in America, in business and in politics, I'm a businessman. I, I want to do everything, and I want to have a complete and total victory. I want to crush the competition. I want to make all the money. I want to institute these programs that I believe in, and I'm sure that I'm right, blah, blah, blah. Except in my business life, I know that I have to take one step at a time. But most importantly, I've got to keep the business running if I want to grow it. And so naturally, in, in our affairs with our children, in our own lives, we compromise what we're convinced is, is black and white right, and we try and move towards a better outcome in business and with our children and our wives and husbands one step at a time. In other words, we, we accept compromise and progress in, in steps, in increments, instead of all at once, every day of our lives. How, why we don't understand that it's going to work the same way in a democracy is surprising to me. To shut down the government on principle is a stupid thing that shows a lack of sophistication. No, it's true that, that we don't get what we're convinced in principle is perfect, but you don't give up good in search of perfect. You get a better America by incrementally fixing this long-standing mess we've got in Washington. If the American people understood I had dinner with Wilbur Ross the other night mm-hmm. at Tom Barrack's house. Wilbur and Hillary are longtime friends of Andrea and I. And Will is telling me in his first months as Secretary of Commerce, he says, Steve, we want to fix a trade deal. So you need a trade rep to do it. But the, the Democrats won't let me have anybody. You know, they don't want to approve anybody. He says, but if you have a trade rep, You'd think, well, there's a guy that goes around making trade deals. Well, it's not true. There are five or six different departments of government that have to be at the table to make a trade deal. You wouldn't believe it. It's the Department of Labor. It's the the Agriculture. I mean, everybody has to be there. He said, before you get done, the trade rep is in a room. Forget about the other people like another country. He's in the room with 12 different people with different points of view from different departments on our side. Yeah. He said the quagmire, the crap that's been piled up 
in, in with these politicians over the years. When Trump says he's going to drain the swamp, it's a harsh term. But damn it, it is close to truth that we have managed for our private political ambitions and, and these different politicians have created this this morass, this huge tar pit of 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 procedural foolishness that makes effective action very difficult. Yeah. Will Ross is a brilliant businessman in sixty different countries. He's been everywhere. He was telling me some of these stories the other night at dinner. I said, You gotta be kidding. He says he started laughing. He says you, you, he says it, it's it's totally a joke, a bad yeah. joke. He yeah. said, but damn it, Steve, if we've got enough time, I'm going to sort it out. And sorting out is probably a better term than drain the swamp. But Donald's yeah. right, Trump is right. There's a lot of work to be done to give the American public the kind of deal they're paying for with their taxes. Yeah. And if you hire these folks, you got to give them. You got to give them room. You got to let them do their job. I remember one time, just I made a joke. I was when I was director of national drug control policy, and, the, and at my first committee hearing, Chairman Wrangle, Charlie Wrangle. You know Charlie Wrangle, don't you? Yeah, I know you do, Steve. I, I know. He, him, yeah. he said, "What Nancy Pelosi said that we have to pass <laughs> the Affordable Health Care Bill in order to understand what's in it." It is as right. ridiculous as it sounds. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do mine now. He said to me, "What's <laughs> this is a direct quote. He said, he said, you know, Bill Clinton is doing such a bad job on drugs, it almost makes me miss Bill Bennett. Almost. <laughs> you, that was a good imitation of Charlie. Yeah, well, I, I, live, I grew up, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm not Harlem, I'm Brooklyn, but it's close enough. You know, you know yeah. the neighborhoods. <laughs> but, 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 but he asked me at this hearing, what are your plans, Mr. Drugs are, for the next six months? And I recited all the committee hearings I had to go to. I said, I guess I'm just going to be in Washington appearing before committees who are going to ask me what my plans are. You know, let me do my job. And, of course, any time I wanted to do something, it was a, like you just described what Wilbur Ross was describing or the trade representative. I had to, I had to meet with 30 other people. I wasn't the czar. I was a, a member of a graduating class. I mean, it was... It was, a, it was a huge group of people. Um, better, I think, That's to why have we a gotta, person. we got to make sure that the adults that are now in the room have enough time yeah. in, in power to get the job done for the people of America. And that's why I took this job, to strengthen Good. the majority, give, give the Republicans in the House and the Senate and the President of the United States the time it's going to take to finish something that took years to screw up as bad as it screwed up. Steve, we are glad and grateful you are there to help Republicans strengthen the majority. We support you, and I know a lot of our audience out there supports you, so thank you for your leadership. That's the show, folks. Tune in next week for more of The Bill Bennett Show.